Well, good morning, everybody. It's always a joy for me to have this opportunity to bring you the Word today. And I was telling my wife after, I do usually a couple kind of practice run-throughs where basically I preach to the wall, and I do that partly to see how I come out on time because I don't want to run too long. And I, I said this to my wife this morning that I felt a little heavy after, after doing my run-through. And I think there's a, a little bit of heaviness. There's kind of a somber feel to today's message. And, and if you've read ahead in your text at all, you'll know why. It's because we're going to be talking about sexual immorality. And whenever we talk about sin, um, it, it calls us to examine our hearts. And so it, it's just... Uh, I think it's natural that it's uh, kind of a heavy feel today. And in our text uh, from Colossians, we've been talking about false teaching, and that's been the warning. But now he's going to move to, I think, even a greater danger, and that, and that is our sinful flesh. And so uh, we have to be on guard of, for sin. And it would be easy to talk about sexual immorality in the world today, right? Because... We've heard of this hashtag Me Too movement, if you guys are aware of that. Um, and there's so many broken homes, broken families. Um, there's different segments of society that have, seem to have more broken families and more consequences. And so when we talk about this subject, you know, my goal is really to give uh, the author's intent, which is uh, Paul, who's really God, and so my goal with this message today is to present what God uh, wants us to know about this subject. And so, and, and the challenge is, it's always easier when we talk about sin to think about, oh, so-and-so, they're living together or something, or society, you know, doesn't seem to care about that anymore. But when we really, ne- what we need to do is examine our own sin in these different areas. And so... That's really why it's so somber, I think. And, and I also recognize I'm not pure in this area either. And so that, that's maybe part of why it's heavy, is I need to also examine my heart, as I have done uh, during these last month while I've been studying this. But I was thinking about this. Uh, the pro- one of the problems in our society with people living together is, is people you know, make statements like this, and I wrote them down because... This is the culture we live in, and even the Christian church is being affected, I think, by some of this thinking. And um, so people will say, uh, it's only a piece of paper, right? A marriage license doesn't really matter if you actually have that. That's one thing they say. Another um, thing they say is, uh, how can you know, like sex be bad now, and then after marriage it's good? And uh, that just reminded me I was going to also let the parents know that I'm not going to get into a lot of graphic detail, but, you know, I'm going to use the word sex. And so if you feel that, you know, I know we have children's church, and, but if you feel as a parent, eh, maybe this isn't what I want for my child, then feel free to, uh, to not be, have the children in for the service. But, uh, but another reason people give um, is they say, uh, uh, if you love each other, that's all that matters really, right? You don't have to really be married, do you? Um, and then uh, people say, well, we're committed to each other anyways. And so, again, uh, what we're really looking to do today is look at the whole area of sexual immorality, not just uh, sin as in regarding uh, people living together, 
but in all areas of sin regarding sexual immorality. So let's bow our heads in prayer before we read our scripture today. Our Heavenly Father, uh, it is our goal today to uh, see your intent from the Word and uh, what you, um, how you would have us look at this subject. And uh, Lord, how serious is it? Uh, we know that our society would say it isn't that serious or uh, would uh, tend to uh, minimize it or downplay it. And Lord, help us to be on our guard to... Uh, to be serious about our own sin and, and to see um, what you are saying to us today. And, uh, and, and, and Lord, uh, at the end of this, I pray that we could uh, uh, not just uh, examine our hearts, but if there are areas that need confession, we would, we would go there and we would be uh, washed and clean from, uh, from our sin. Lord, help me now as I deliver your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so one of the thoughts before we read Colossians I thought was important to mention is that, you know, I think I don't want, if you've confessed a sin from your past, don't even need to put that up on the radar. God says he's removed that as far as east is from west. So, but I'd say it's, it's more in assessing where we're at today. And so I just wanted to bring that up because that's the last thing I want to do is send people home feeling like, man, I did this way back when. And <clears throat> my mom <clears throat> was telling me a story about a lady. And of course, this was, you know, many years ago where culture had a lot of pressure on this. But this lady had to get married. And for her whole life, and she was a Christian all her life, but for her whole life, she felt shame about that. I thought, that's not right in God's church. And so I just want to make sure that's clear that if you've confessed a sin from your past, it's past. And, but I, I, I think it's more about assessing where we're at today. So if you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and uh, Dan did such a beautiful job, I think, last week of setting this up uh, for today's message. And uh, so I'm going to be starting uh, in uh, verse 5, but I think we'll start Colossians 3 uh, verse 1 to, to get the feel for... Uh, what Dan shared, and uh, then we'll go on from there. And I'm going to be doing just the three verses this week, and then I'm on next week, and so I'll be doing uh, the remaining verses through verse 11. So there's one list of sins that we're going to tackle this week, and then there'll be another list next week. And uh, I was telling, telling Dan this, that, you know, um, the importance of taking Scripture like book by book, verse by verse, because... If, if I had to pick a scripture, I wouldn't have picked this today, okay? Because I don't preach that often. <laughs> and this is, you know, a tricky subject if I, I feel like I'm not the best wordsmith sometimes. And so hopefully uh, it'll all uh, come out as God has planned. But, but I think the beauty of, of, as a church, that we value all scripture, every verse. And so even this heavy uh, stuff that we have to look at, God says, this is what's up. This is what's before you, and it needs to be preached. So let's start in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
you, then you also will appear with him in glory. And here we come to our three verses that we're going to tackle today. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And so there's where we're going to uh, stop today. And uh, I, I want to just point out that whenever we, the first four verses are like what we call doctrine, um, God's truth, basically. Whenever we read God's truth, and, and then we read uh, the word therefore in our text, it's because of this truth that now he goes into this is how you ought to live. And so it's always important when we see the word therefore to link that doctrine and practice together. So because of the doctrine, now we have to put it into practice. And I thought of a verse that uh, I think is a beautiful verse uh, for, for those of us who are believers. It says there, and this is uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and you have a fresh start, as it were. And that's the beauty of being, becoming a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian today, that's the beauty of becoming a Christian, is that we have uh, the old is, is past, and we're a new creation. And yet, even though that's, that's true, our old nature is something that we struggle with. And I have, uh, I think Caleb has it on the overhead, three scriptures that I, uh, that I wanted to point out um, that this sexual immorality, it, everywhere you read in the Bible where you read like a list of vices, this is in there. And so it's not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a concern, I believe, that God had for his church. And, and, um, and, the, and the important thing to note is what's written here is not for out there. It's for us in the church. And so we read, I'll just read those quickly. We see again that sexual morality is mentioned in these three and there are many others. But I just think it's important, even though God said it once would be enough, but when, he, when he's emphasizing it, I think it's important for us. So I'll start at the top. Or do you not know that the unrighteous uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice so, uh, homosexuality. So there's the first uh, section. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And then the last verse. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So there's our just uh, some additional scriptures that are saying basically what we're looking at today. <clears throat> so starting in verse 1, <clears throat> we, the first thing we read is, uh, put to death, therefore. And I was thinking, <clears throat> what strong language that is, right? We, we so often minimize sin, and I think that's the danger for me, for myself, and we somehow kind of start rationalizing it and we think, well, maybe it's not that bad. But when we see put to death, I was thinking if a parent had a teenager in the house and they said they were doing something wrong and the parent would say, put that to death. 
think of how strong that is. You know what I mean? It's not like stop or just quit. Or, but So I think the first thing we note is that this is super strong language, what God is saying about uh, our sin. So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And earthly <clears throat> needs to be thought of as uh, like worldly or sinful. And so um, when, you think, when you hear the word uh, earthly, think of the word sinful. <clears throat> and so I have a scripture, uh, Caleb has it for the overhead, uh, Matthew 18, 8. And the reason I bring this scripture up is because... Uh, uh, basically, we don't fool around with sin. We kill it, okay? And I think that's, that's the important message. But this text brings this out very clearly. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. And this is, uh, Jesus used intentional overstatement, I would say, because we're not to take this literally. And over the course of history, there's you know, been a few people that actually took it literally. And, but Jesus uses intentional overstatement to emphasize the necessity of radically killing sin. And um, so just as kind of a, a general view of what we're, we're looking at here, Paul gives two sample lists of sins to kill. And like I said, we're going to go through the first one today. The list includes some of the most common and troubling sins believers face. They should not, however, be considered exhaustive. The first list comprises sins of perverted love. And note uh, this, the first list begins with the acts of sin and progresses to the motives. And we'll see next week that the second list is, is just the opposite, starts with the motives and ends up with the acts. So this list uh, involves personal sins and relates to our feelings. So if, if you want to uh, have a little outline too, by the way, in your bulletin that you can use to kind of, uh, I, I do do that to help you kind of follow along. But I've, I've titled this first uh, part here, um, uh, Put to Death Sins of Perverted Love. So Paul progresses backward from the evil act to the underlying motive. Immorality, the evil act, takes place because of impurity. And impurity comes from perverted passion and evil desire, which in turn come from the root sin of greed. And I'm going to go through each of these words that are in our text so you can follow along. And we're going to start with immorality. And just to kind of understand what those words mean. And so that will help us to kind of examine ourselves today. So immorality translates uh, pornea and refers to sexual sin. Uh, its meaning broadens to include any form of illicit sex. The Bible strictly forbids any sexual activity outside the marriage bond between a man and a woman. Immorality heads the list of the deeds of the flesh, and it is not proper behavior for the saints. And we have a text again on the overhead of 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And this is, says, uh, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, 
that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so the second word we're looking at is impurity. And the meaning is uh, filthiness or uncleanness. It is a more general term than immorality, going beyond the act to the evil thoughts and intentions of the mind. And then I have another text on the overhead from Matthew here. And this is where, you know, uh, I think it starts, we start to understand uh, Jesus' uh, view of this topic. And we read in Matthew 5.28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so uh, we need to uh, be very careful uh, what we do with our eyes, what we do with our thoughts. And uh, Jesus brings that out with that scripture. And evil behavior begins with evil thoughts. Therefore, the battle against all sin begins in the mind. And, and this is something that I think is uh, so important for us to be cautious because we sometimes, you know, we read in the paper, we hear of people who, who uh, commit sexual sins and we are um, appalled at how could someone, for example, uh, be a child molester or something. But I think that, that the thing to remember is it starts... Sin starts in the mind with thoughts. And if you start uh, allowing those thoughts to grow, and I think for us uh, as believers, if a thought pops in your head, we immediately need to address it and, and, and turn from it and put it away. But if you coddle your thoughts or you cherish it, however what you want to call it, uh, those, that will grow. And I think that's where uh, the challenge is with sin in our lives, we always think about kind of, kind of the end game, but our, our job as believers is to begin addressing sin when it starts in our thoughts. And so that was an important thing that I learned as I was studying this. Evil thoughts produce sinful behavior, and pure thoughts produce righteous behavior. And later on, um, when uh, I think Dan's going to be preaching on... Uh, put on see this is what sin we're putting off and so later we'll get into more of this because whenever as a believer when we're told not to do something there's something good that we can do and so that's going to be in view in a future message but but i have a scripture here that from philippians 4 8 that brings this out as well and it says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this is part of our job as Christians. When you have a thought pop in your mind, you get rid of it and you think about things uh, like this list that we just read. And part of that is, is being in God's Word. And so it's not just reading a verse like that, but it's being in all of God's Word. And so that's partly how we fight sin in our minds. So the next uh, sin that's listed is passion. And passion uh, refers to the sexual passion set loose in the body. So, uh, and then the next one, evil desire is more has to do with the mind. Evil desire refers to the sexual lust created in the mind. And um, the next word we have is covetousness or greed. 
is the evil root from which all the previous sins spring. Greed means the insatiable desire to have more, to have what is forbidden. Because it places selfish desire above obedience to God, greed amounts to idolatry. And this is an important uh, next line uh, that I that I underlined in my notes here. When we sin, it is at its basis our doing what we desire rather than what God desires. And and I think it's so important to check our desires with Scripture, because not all desires uh, may necessarily be sinful, but we need to check our desires with Scripture. And if it's contrary to what God desires for us, then we need to. Uh, uh, fight that and, and uh, flee from that. <clears throat> so I just uh, read, when we sin, it is at its basis our doing what we desire rather than what God desires. That is, in essence, to worship ourselves instead of God, and that is idolatry. The anecdote for covetousness is contentment. A contented person will not desire to violate another person sexually, or covet anything that person owns. And here is another, I think, a key thing that we all need to be reminded of. So for people that are married, uh, we need to be content with the person that God gave us for this area. And so that's important. Uh, whenever we, uh, when we're not content, we start maybe looking elsewhere. And that's a, that's a red flag. That's a danger sign. And, and also for singles here today, I would just say um, we, you're called to be content where God has you at this time. And so that's another thing. It's not just for married people, this message, but also that idea of contentment is so important for all of us. And, and if we can be content, if we really trust God, that He's in control, and that we can uh, be content with where He has us at, at, at any point in our lives. And uh, a person who can say with Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And this is out of Philippians 4.11. So a a person who can say with Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, is not likely to struggle with covetousness. Contentment comes from trusting God. The basis of that trust is our knowledge of Him and His purposes for His people as revealed in the Bible. So there again is an important point. Uh, An unknown God, it's tough to really trust. And a God who is known, and this is how He is known, right? Through through the Word, uh, through walking with Him. Some of uh, the believers in this church maybe have 50 years of they walked with the Lord. And think of the beauty of the trust that develops that God is uh, taking care of them. And so... They have that history of God's faithfulness also with the Word. And uh, so I, I have a quote here. Uh, I, I tend not to use quotes because it's sometimes hard to grasp. Uh, but I have two quotes today, but I have them on the overhead because I think it's easier to grasp. But this was amazing. just kind of hit me right between the eyes. Um, you know I love to sing. And I think, Boy, when I'm singing, I'm worshiping the Lord. And this guy, he mentioned some other things. We'll read it here in a second. But this man says, um, you worship by contentment. Have you ever thought of that? By being just trusting God, that's a form of worship. 
So I'll, let's read. You can follow along and I'll read this. You worship God. This is a Puritan, uh, by the way, Jeffrey Burroughs. Uh, you worship God more by contentment than when you come to hear a sermon or spend a half or an hour or, uh, excuse me, a half an hour or an hour in prayer or when you come to receive a sacrament. These are acts of God's worship, but they are only external acts of worship to hear and pray and receive sacraments. But contentment is the soul's worship. Isn't that a beautiful way of phrasing it? To subject itself thus to God. Then he has the contrast. In active obedience, we do as well worship God by doing what pleases God. But by passive obedience, we do as well worship God by being pleased with what God does. Okay, And so this is kind of this idea of com- contentment is that I, I know, Lord, uh, for example, if you're single, you want to be married, but I trust you, you see. I could be content even though that's my heart's desire. There's nothing wrong with that. But you so uh, know that he is, has your best interest, and so you can trust him. And I thought that was a beautiful uh, quote. Attacking covetousness lays the axe to a root cause of sin. When contentment replaces covetousness, The latter cannot give rise to the process that culminates in the act of sin. And so now we have in our scripture uh, reasons for putting sin to death. And I'll read uh, verse 6. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So this is the first reason. Um, And uh, I was talking with my mom uh, about this a little bit. And she was saying, well, about the love of God, right? That God... But this is what I have in Scripture. So you know what I mean? Uh, and I think we will talk a little bit about God's love in this regard. But, but it's loving for God to sometimes send a warning. And so um, when it says uh, in, in, our, in our verse here, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wrath, listen to the uh, definition of God's wrath. Because our wrath is sometimes so out of bounds and so over the top, but God's wrath never is. In God's constant, invariable reaction to sin, or it is God's uh, constant, invariable reaction to sin, it is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. And here's an important part that I don't make sure you get this, uh, because believers will not experience the full fury of God's wrath. We know that's clear from Scripture, so unbelievers will experience the full force of God's eternal wrath. Because we read in John 3, 36b, we have this on, uh, I think, the overhead too. Um, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So this is an important part to remember that um, for the believer, we will not experience God's full wrath. Because believers have been delivered from the wrath to come and will experience no wrath, Paul is not warning us that if we sin, we will feel the furious wrath of God. Rather, he is saying that those who are Christ, who have been made one with him, who love him and serve his glory, would certainly not wish to participate in those kinds of behaviors and thoughts that are characteristic of those who will feel his eternal wrath. And so 
that's the warning, or that's the, the reason it's put in there, is that um, I remember reading this book, uh, uh, A Hole in uh, Our Hole in, in Our Holiness, and um, this was an amazing book, but uh, it, it said, be who you are. And I thought, boy, that sounds a little liberal, but it said, be who you are in Christ, right? And so that's why God is saying that these kind of behaviors are not who you are in Christ. And so that's why I believe that's one of the reasons giving. Although believers have been delivered from God's wrath, they are still subject to His discipline. And so that's an important part to remember. And Hebrews 12, uh, 5 and 6. And I think, Caleb, you have this on the overhead as well. Um, uh, says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So here we see the word love, and I think this is in God in a loving way, I believe, for the believer, will not let him... Uh, be cherishing and living in sexual sin and he won't allow that so i believe that god will discipline him and so that's a loving thing for god to not allow us to continue in our sin in verse 7 we read uh, in these things uh, or in these you too once walked when you were living in them and i think this is always an important reminder uh, to a body of believers and we all have different stories in our lives but I think that uh, we need to always guard on, on being judgmental of others. And so um, I think that's part of what this verse is saying, but, but also uh, it's the idea of because you once were there, you wouldn't want to go back to that. And uh, I have a quote, one more quote here by Spurgeon, and this is all about um, the believer leaving the old life behind. And, and moving forward and not going back to that sin that you left behind. And you can follow along with me. And uh, Spurgeon has an amazing, beautiful way of, descriptive way of writing. And so I thought, this makes my point for me. And so I included this. Christian, what hast thou to do with sin? Hast it not cost thee enough already? Burnt child, wilt thou play with the fire? What? When thou hast already been between the jaws of the lion, wilt thou step a second time into his den? Hast thou not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison all thy veins once? And wilt thou play upon the hole of the asp or put thy hand upon the cockatrice's den a second time? Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield thee real pleasure? Didst thou find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back to thine old drudgery and wear the chain again, if it delight thee. But inasmuch as sin did never give thee what it promised to bestow, but deluded thee with lies, be not a second time snared by the old fowler, by the old fowler uh, be free. And let the remembrance of thine ancient bondage forbid thee to enter the net again. So why would anyone who has been made rich return to the slums to live in poverty? And how can a new creature act like an old one? 
What shall we say then? This is out of Romans. Uh, Are we uh, to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And so, this really is the main part of the message, but I just thought it was important to, um, to have a few warnings toward the end of the message, and, uh, and then uh, if, we find, if we feel convicted of sin today, what, what do we do? And I want to point that out before we uh, end today. And so, I want to read, uh, if you look on the back of your... Uh, handout in the bulletin is Ephesians 5, 1-12. And I want to use that text as a warning. And um, so if you want to follow with me, we're going to read that uh, uh, text now. It says here, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And listen to this next verse. This is really the standard where I think uh, we need to examine ourselves. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And... Um, and this is the stern warning in verse 5. Um, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And I, I think that the Bible uh, often gives us stern warnings. And, and I think it's always, this is loving for God to warn us, right? Because... Um, if, if we were left on our own on a, on a sinful track, there's basically there's a, there's a train wreck coming, okay? There's a train wreck in your relationship or, I mean, there's so many um, sins uh, that if left to go their full extent. And, and so when God's, you know, when, when I read this, I think, wow, this is shocking to me. I remember when I was a young man, I was drinking and I, and I read the scripture that the drunkard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, I thought man, what if I die tonight on my way home? I mean, literally, I was scared of that warning. And today, God used it to change my life as, as I don't drink and haven't for 30-some years. But, but what, the reason I share that is anytime we see a warning, God's desire is to turn us from our sin and, and to save us a lot of pain and suffering by showing us a better way so when we read a stern warning like that, if, if there's sin in our lives, it's God's way of saying, no, I'm not going to let you just go that way. And, and I would say this to people, if you live in sexual immorality and, and you cherish that sin and you, and you totally disregard this warning and you live that way till the day you die, I, I, don't, I can't tell you you're going to go to heaven. In fact, I, I feel from this warning that you may not. And so it's very serious in that sense that uh, God, God isn't playing games. In verse 6 we read, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And so, that's our scripture. I just, uh, as I've been studying this for a month, I've, I just came up with uh, a list of ten things that I just, uh, I thought, uh, and this is all in this area of, of sexual immorality, so I'm not going to make that clear every time I read one. Just know that these are warnings in this area. But I think it's good uh, for us to think of, we, we heard about our speech um, in texting, uh, Facebook, email, uh, what you view on the computer, what you watch on TV. These are all areas, I think, that we need to be on our guard of that we are living in a way that pleases the Lord. So I'm just going to read my ten uh, things that I, that I just felt like were good uh, kind of warnings or red flags. If you feel like one of these is speaking to you, you might want to uh, just go home and think more about where you're at in some of these areas. Um, so number one, if you wouldn't want your wife to know something you are doing and I can reverse that husband so if you're if you're looking at something or something you'd say boy I wouldn't want my spouse to know it that's a warning uh, number two if you're always thinking about someone who is not your sp spouse so if your thoughts are filled with someone else that's it that's a big danger and um, needs to be addressed number three if you find yourself looking at someone uh, all the time so where your eyes go um, be on your guard don't believe the lie that I only want them as a friend. I think, don't ever think sin's going to come knock and say, hey, I'm sin. You know, uh, you know listen to me. No, it's going to be deceptive, right? You're going to be, you're going to be making yourself believe, oh, it's probably okay. And you're going to be minimizing it. And number five, uh, a simple way to understand uh, sexual immorality is to think about the things that would make you furious and heartbroken if you found out someone was doing them with your husband or wife. Number six, if you are not, uh, if you are not content with your wife or husband. That, remember we talked about being content. Number seven, if you are single, and you, uh, are you content to trust God for now and in the future, whatever His plans are for you? Number eight, in uh, Timothy uh, 5, uh, 1 Timothy 5.2, God gives us the right view of others in the church. And it's, it's like family, okay? And I think this is an important part to talk briefly about. It says in that scripture, older women uh, are to be looked at as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity, it says, okay? So I think this is an important part even in our, in our fellowship. When you uh, look at someone, uh, uh, an older lady in the church, she should be looked at as your mother. And when you look at a, at a woman uh, who's, you know, your age or, or, or they're closer to that, then she is to be your sister. And I think that the reason is obvious because we wouldn't sexually think of, our, of having sex with our mother or sister, right? And so here's just a common way to, to guard yourself in that if you're, if you're thinking about someone, uh, it better be in these two categories. Otherwise, I believe you're in sin. And this is a good way to check yourself and say, can I just, and I think even in the language we use, because uh, sometimes, you know, people would say, uh, 
oh, kind of jokingly, uh, you know, I, I befriend a lot of the older ladies in the church and, 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 care, and care for them, but jokingly would refer to me as like a boyfriend or she's my girlfriend. No, no, don't, don't even go there. That's just, she's like a mother to me, you know. And uh, Frankie is very dear to me. Sometimes I give Frankie a kiss on the cheek because I love her like my, my own mom. And so, you know, that's, that's how we ought to think about each other in the church. And so with a sister, I don't ever give them a kiss on the cheek because I don't even want to, you know, be doing anything that might be perceived wrong. But I think these are ways to guard ourselves, okay? And, and, and terminology makes a difference, I believe. Number nine, uh, how shall we deal? Because in my studies, you know, the, the idea of art or theater or movies, you know, kind of came up and I thought, we don't, we don't have a list in this church, okay, you know, you can't go to R-rated movies or this or that. Uh, but I think that you have to honestly look at yourself if you go, let's say, to an R-rated movie and, and let's just use an extreme example and say for a month later, you're thinking about that woman you saw on the screen who was scantily clothed. Well, then, yeah, you can't, you shouldn't even go to those movies. And, and I would say the same thing with museums, with art. Um, if you have a problem there, then, yep, that's not for you. I would say that's a way to protect yourself. Number 10, be careful what you allow yourself to see. And, and um, this is another important thing. Is basically, we know about eraser boards. When you see something, there's, you can't grab an eraser board and just go like this to your head and erase it, right? It's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of your life. So be, there was a little children's song uh, Something about be careful what you see, okay? Just keep that in mind. If you, if you want that, you, I don't think you want that in your head the rest of your life. So those are my warning signs that I gave. And so now just in response. So if you're here and you're, and you're not a Christian or you're not sure, um, some of the steps I think are the same, but I want to first address that. And so the first step is to turn to Jesus. Right? We've been, been talking all through Colossians. It's about Jesus, right? And so we need to turn to Jesus. But, but in turning to Jesus, uh, we need to confess our sins. Okay? And our sins, uh, don't minimize it. I think what God's looking for is, is, is just to be honest and, and to confess our sins. And then we need to ask Jesus for help uh, to, to stop our sin. Okay? I think that this is a very real thing that we can ask him to help us. And, uh, and then we need to turn from our sin and follow uh, what God's word uh, says. This is how you are to live. And so that's, uh, and then for the Christian, same, some of the same steps here. We turn to Jesus again, right? And, and the cross and the gospel is not just for the day you were saved and you became a believer. But when, when, when God points out sin in your life, it's loving for him to do that. And then we need to go to the cross and confess our sins. And then again, we need to ask Jesus uh, for help to uh, put our sin to death, right? That's what we learned. And, and uh, take it seriously, uh, flee from our sin, Scripture always says. And then another uh, thing, and we'll be do doing more of this when Dan preaches about what we are to put on. And so it's not all, always what we're getting rid of. And I, have this, I had this scripture earlier in the message. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
So that's my message today. Uh, let's close in prayer now. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want Thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol. Cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord, what a beautiful thought. Um, even in uh, Psalm um, 51, verse 7, David uh, penned these words. He said, wash me, Lord, and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord, this is our desire. When we uh, see sin in our lives, we know that uh, there is grace and that uh, you uh, will forgive us if we come to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, as we uh, think about what we heard here today, that we would uh, be like David. And this psalm he wrote even after he uh, uh, had an affair with Bathsheba. And, uh, Lord, uh, you know that you sent the prophet Nathan to him to confront him of his sin. And, Lord, he did confess his sin to you. And, Lord, you were faithful to wash him whiter than snow. I pray you would uh, be, be now with us as we sing this last song too, I pray in Jesus' name.